Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Benmergi. Welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi, a continuing series of conversations with people that I have admired and understood and didn't understand and tried to figure out and all the rest of it. Uh, uh, clarification, as always, not a rabbi, but wouldn't be this kind of rabbi if I was. I'd be another kind of rabbi. <laughs> Actually, isn't in a congregation doing crazy things all day long to try to make everybody believe that they're really good people when really we're all just who we are and we have our good in moments and our bad in moments and that's just the way it is. Um, little piece though in terms of two things. One is I woke up this morning, I went, I was filling in at a jazz radio station, Jazz FM 91, doing the show from nine to one, doing it the last few weeks and this week as well. Um, and I love being there and I had a good time, but I, I put on the, my Twitter account and it, the hashtag that was uh, um, trending was Jewish privilege. And somebody had put things out about Jewish privilege and the old canards about uh, conspiracy to rule the world and, you know, what's with these Jews. And uh, then there was all the other stuff from Jewish people mostly talking about you, you want to call this a privilege and one of them was uh, with a, a man sitting there with his concentration camp numbers on his forearm and a lot of people talking about the the generational trauma of being a Jew uh, there are good times for Jewish people in societies at some times but they never last very long and what I've always said is that to be a Jew in any country is to be a, someone in a rental. Uh, my people, mm. 500 years in Morocco, expelled from Spain in 1492, which everybody here knows is the Columbus invasion of North America. But there we lived with the Arab population for 500 years in one way or another. And my father and my mother's people both ended up there. Uh, but in 1956, there was the Pan-Arab nationalism, Gamal Abdel Nasser, the removal of colonial power in the French North Morocco, North Africa of Tunisia, Algeria, and Morocco. And with that came a backlash against the Jewish populations when no one felt comfortable. And the population of 268,000 Jews was reduced to what today is 2,000 Jewish people at most in Morocco. So we are a people who always move. It's good for a while. It's not good for a while. But just seeing all this Jewish privilege hashtag stuff and realizing that there are real divides between peoples and sometimes it's between peoples who are suffering oppressions in their own ways. Well, you think, you know, in the Jewish culture, the, the joke is uh, it's one downmanship. Oh, my hip is killing me. Your hip, <laughs> your hip. You should try my, my knees shot, totally <laughs> shot. Your knees, you know, I've got a thing in my heart, the ticker thingy, I, your heart. So we can go like down the rabbit hole of misery. But what I wanted to concentrate on instead, and I didn't get into the Twitter fight because it's not worth it. But what I wanted to concentrate on is that idea that so many peoples in the world suffer deep and profound generational trauma and that it's passed on from one to the other and we live it out and we believe uh, it, sometimes perversely that it gives us an exceptionalism. It gives us, oh, you know what? We're actually not beneath you. We're above you. And I'm trying to hope that we get to a point where we don't go beneath or above, but we go together, that we walk the walk together because in each and every person, I truly believe there is a divine spark. And I think that we have to unearth that spark in each other instead of animate the fear of the other. Every major religion asks you to do the golden rule, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And they all speak about loving the stranger. The most challenging thing to do is not love those who are like you, but those who are not like you. And we live in a very polarized time and I'll tell you, the interesting thing about the pandemic is the virus doesn't care what party you vote for. The virus doesn't care what you think freedom looks like. And if you're really uppity with it, it'll kill you. So to me, that's the leveler and perhaps the opportunity space for us to have some humility. Because none of this can happen if we have false pride. It can only happen if we have humility. And the last thing I'll say on the rabbi side 
before I introduce my guest for the week is in Jewish mysticism and Kabbalah, there are four worlds that a person inhabits at any moment in their life, at any moment in their day. You start with the body, and this is also the, the, the order of prayer in Judaism for every morning service. So you start with the body itself, the asiya, and you thank God for the fact that your body works, that the things that are supposed to stay in, stay in, and the things that are supposed to get out, get out. Um, and, and I'll tell you something that would be considered inappropriate for a spiritual conversation. That bowel movement you have in the morning, that's where you actually grunt, oh, thank God. And you mean it. It's like that had to get out of me. That's the toxins that were left after I ate all the nutritious food. Thank God it's gone. So the body is real and the body is, is in need of care and love and gratitude for the fact that you have one. And from the Asiya, you go to the Yitzira, which is the heart and the ability to connect yourself to the heartfelt things and not close yourself off to yourself and to other people because spirituality is a relationship issue of you to yourself, to others and to the universe. And from there you move to Bria the reasoning, the mind. And sometimes in our age, we get stuck there. Prove it to me. If you can't prove it to me, I don't believe you. Well, prove love. I can't prove love, but I really spend a lot of time on it. So that Bria state is important for us to sort through and to synthesize into wisdom, but it can also be our shield against feeling our bodies and our hearts. And the final stage in prayer is atzilut, which is transcendency. And what we often do as a society is only look for that part of the whole puzzle. I really want my mind blown. I really want a lightning strike of, of, of emotion and feeling, and then I'll have seen it. And hallucinogens, when we were younger in my generation, were the kind of shortcut, the, you know, pass, go, collect $200 into seeing the, the atzilut, into seeing the transcendency, the oneness and unity of everything, that you could look at a tree when you were doing acid or mushrooms and go, that tree is breathing. That tree is breathing life into me, and I'm breathing life into the tree. We are all one thing. But the next morning, you wake up, and all you feel is like crap, because it's not sustainable. You can't sustain peak moments. That's not the only way to become connected to the universe. It's sometimes in slowing down and contemplation and meditation. And sometimes it's just keeping your eyes open and knowing that you have four worlds in you and that you should give equal time to them. Don't We tend to reside in one of the four more than the others, whichever one will reduce the amount of pain we're feeling in life. So that's my, my rant for the day, my rabbi's rant for the day. Uh, and now I want to talk to somebody who has wisdom and hard-won wisdom, I might add, um, and has uh, done something with it, has mined it and used it and uh, benefits from it uh, as much as we do from him sharing it. And uh, his name is Tom Wilson. The first time I, um, well, I'd heard his music. He used to have a band years ago called Junk House, and I was doing a variety television show, and I had some say in who we could have on the show. So they said, well, who do you want? And it was our New Year's Eve show. We didn't know it at the time, but it was also our very last show because we were canceled a week later or half a week later. But I said, uh, uh, New Year's Eve, I want Junk House. I love Junk House. So they came on uh, and, and Tom and I, I don't even think we passed two words between each other because I was running around like a host. Um, but that was my first time knowing who he was and over the years i've known him in different incarnations and blacking the rodeo kings and you know everything uh, but i've also read a wonderful book that he wrote about self-realization and being becoming himself and knowing what that would bring to his life so i want to welcome to the to the podcast now tom it's i'm really grateful that you're here how you doing i'm really good ralph i have to tell you that uh that was some beautiful wisdom that you uh, laid on us, me, uh, the 
poop thing though is uh is real <laughs> i'll tell you as i get older it is uh it is a thank god moment <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well you see people somebody i was speaking with a hoxley workman a little while ago and he was talking about putting tiling on a floor and all the satisfaction he got and i said you know one of my rabbis had taught me that god is in the laundry you know <laughs> not not in yeah. the clouds right no uh well living in the moment is important you know i mean uh, any of us who've been around um people practicing you know the buddhist beliefs uh buddhism you know, we get to we get to have some of that. And it also reminds me that all the people that I know that practice Buddhism uh, are the people that really need those practices. I'll tell you, you know, they're, <laughs> they're, uh, some of my exes and uh, some of my friends have been, you know, it's like, oh, my God, you need something. So Buddhism, you know, just whatever it is you got to do, straighten your shit out, man. Um <laughs> But being in the moment is so important. And I didn't, uh, you know, I don't know where we're going with this conversation, but uh, uh, there were some things that you touched on during your, your monologue that were so important to me and that are so relative to uh, me as, uh, I guess, let's just say uh, an indigenous guy now, nope. just to be informal, you know, a Mohawk man. Um, uh, those things, you know, of, of trying to control and keep down uh, a culture it's a sinful thing, you know, and it, it comes from a, from a lack of, uh, of faith in yourself, you know what I mean, as a culture to be able to have to um, try to wipe out another one. It's funny because I've only ever been in bands. I don't, I don't consider myself being in a band or being managed unless I have a Jewish person involved. <laughs> as a result, my managers have been Bernie Finkelstein, my bandmate and friend since 1976, Colin Linden, mm -hmm. and uh, in Lee Harvey Osmond, my dear friend and uh, and pedal steel player, record producer Aaron Goldstein, mm -hmm. and it seems to be that uh, Colin Linden pointed out to me. He says, "I know why we've been friends for most of our lives," and I said, "Why?" He says, "Well, I finally found out that you're a tribesman." He said, "Mohawks and Jews." Six nations, 12 tribes. He goes, it makes complete sense <laughs> that, uh, that we belong together. And also, we're, we're two cultures that uh, have, uh, people have attempted to wipe right off the face of the earth, you know. So we, uh, we kind of share that and that blood memory, I call it. I'm skipping around on you, Ralph. I hope, no, no, I'm Toronto might get, I hope Toronto Mike gets to edit me because God knows I need editing day to day, every day of my life constantly but um uh the idea that uh that we share some kind of fear some kind of suspicion about the people around us comes from blood memory comes from generations of of our our, our ancestors you know uh, trying to be killed trying to be wiped out and we also face that reality every day as as a mohawk you know what my sister my sister lynn bova yeah, from Ganawage. She was a teacher and she knows Mohawk, but nobody really knows the entire Mohawk language. If I call her up and I say, Hi, Lynn, how do you say this? She says, Oh God, I don't know. I'm going to have to ask somebody else. And then there's this network of people on the reserve trying to figure out how to say a certain phrase in Mohawk. And that is an example of how colonialism was successful in almost wiping out an entire culture. The fact that here in 2020, and people are working really hard in the Mohawk community to get their language back, but it's like pulling pieces from all over the place. Uh, well, you know, it's an interesting parallel because in the Jewish, not my Jewish culture, the Eastern European Jewish culture, not the North African culture I come from, um, Yiddish was something that had almost completely been obliterated by the Holocaust. Uh, and also that the state of Israel had decided that they weren't going to use Yiddish as the national language. They were going to use Hebrew, which is in the Bible. And they had to basically modernize Hebrew to make it the language of Israel. But Yiddish had made a huge comeback in New York City as its base. And Yiddish kite, Yiddish culture, uh, right now the Ashkenaz Festival, when it happens in Toronto, is an example of that Yiddish culture. Uh, my people don't speak Yiddish. We speak Ladino, or in our case, a thing called Hakatiya. 
um, it's a different thing altogether. It's Spanish-based and Spanish-Arabic-based. But Yiddish itself was such a rich cultural piece. So I wonder when you think of the Mohawk language, it's not just language, it must be culture too. There's all these it tentacles. It is culture too. So when there is a, it is, it is culture. It's, it's every facet. I mean, the Catholic church, uh, you know, uh, uh, tried to get the Indian uh, out of the child, you know. Um, it's a conversation that uh, is not ancient, you know. I have talked about, of course, residential schools before. I work for the Downey Winjack Foundation. Um, Who are they? And, and, and uh, pardon me? Who are they? Downey Winjack is, uh, Gord Downey um, uh, told the story uh, of Kenny Winjack, who uh, died on railroad tracks trying to get home from a residential school. It's a story of a little boy whose longing uh, was so strong that he he took on the job himself of trying to get back to his reserve and died on died, froze to death on the railroad tracks. And that story is the last thing, the last piece of work that Gord Downey put his stamp on. And it's one of the things that is helping, at least opening the door um, of understanding of, of what it is that residential schools did, because we're not taught that. We weren't taught about that uh, here in Canada. But the fact that uh, when I talk about residential schools, it's like people say, are you still talking about that? Yeah, I'm still talking about that because the last residential school, of course, closed in 1996. You know what I mean? That That's not that long ago, Ralph. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my mother was, uh, you know, was hidden in a basement so that the RCMP couldn't, you know, take her away to a residential school. So this is, it's all very real and very present. But Gord Downey's work and the Downey Winjack uh, people work on, on um, bringing the truth and reconciliation hopefully uh, a little bit closer. One of the things that when Gord Downey told that story, another thing that was said to me was, how come, how come a white guy is telling the story of an Indian kid? And I thought that that was a silly question because it's so important that we are all telling each other stories. The way to understand one another is not by pointing fingers at one another and, and uh, uh, necessarily hanging your hat on on the actions of, of uh, people of, in the past. It's to tell each other's stories so we can understand one another. And that's going to be, to me, what truth and reconciliation in this country is about. You know, when, when the Indians get on their high horse, man, when, uh, when my people uh, start knocking, knocking on doors and uh, uh, protecting land and uh, uh, putting barricades on railroad tracks, you know, that is not terrorism. That is actually the indigenous community holding up a mirror for Canada to have a good look and see how they're looking these days. You know what I mean? And um, if, if we don't start doing that, if we don't start having a good look in the mirror at one another, then we're going to be lost forever. So one of the things I was always obviously interesting is that you, you grew up not knowing you were Mohawk. Mm-hmm. And then discovering you were Mohawk and now embracing that you're Mohawk. Mm-hmm. Are you, do you feel sometimes like you're trying to play catch up with a whole life because you had a childhood without it and you had a, a young man's life without it? Or do you well, feel like it all comes together, the pieces all just fell in place and you move on? So much makes sense, Ralph. So much of, uh, you know, the story, my own story of my own life, the one that I, I go over every day and every night, um, makes so much sense. Uh, but I'm really just shaking hands with a culture I've been introduced to. That's what I say. I am 61 years old. I'd like to have 20 more years on this planet so that I can keep working, creating art, music, and writing that shines a light on the Mohawk culture. And I believe that if I keep doing that, I'll, I'll make my way to uh, understanding uh, what it feels like to be a Mohawk. I didn't grow up like my brothers. I didn't grow up like my sisters. I grew up on the East Mountain of Hamilton, Ontario, with that haunting feeling that I was uh, uh, right in the middle of en- enemy territory. 
you know, <laughs> um, it was that feeling and nothing against all the wonderful people I grew up with, but, you know, being surrounded by English and Scottish, and you know, uh, European people, it, it, something in me felt like I was in the wrong place that I better not get discovered, you know? Right. So, so, um, I might've got a little off track there, Ralph, but, uh, my, my work now is to, uh, is, is to not declare myself a necessarily, uh, a Mohawk and I'm not going to pound on my chest, but I'm going to work hard every day. And, and I swear to God for the last seven years, I've worked hard every day. Uh, expressing myself creatively because I'm not an iron worker like my brothers or like the seven generations that came before me. I come from seven generations of iron workers, Ralph. Those are the guys that, you know, you know, those, those yeah. guys you saw building New York and Detroit and Chicago and Pittsburgh. And, and my great grandfather, I walked into my sister's house for the first time. And if you go into any home in the reserve, uh, you'll find, uh, uh, people have these statues of that famous photograph of those guys eating their lunch building Rockefeller Center, right? That yeah. famous photograph, because everybody in Ganawage has somebody in that photo that they're either related to or that was a next door neighbor or that was a great uncle. And I walked in, I said, hey, Lynn, isn't that cool? You got one of those statues of uh, that famous photograph, uh, those guys eating their lunch building Rockefeller Center. She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes, yeah, the fourth guy in, that's, that's her great-grandfather. You know? <laughs> and, and, and I looked at that and I thought, I, I can't, I've been looking at this photograph all my life, looking at my own blood, you know, in that yeah. photograph on the cover of Life magazine and, and you know, uh, uh, murals of it painted in New York City. And I think these guys are eating their lunch 50 stories above Manhattan and I swear to God I get nervous getting on a step stool to change a light bulb you know what I mean <laughs> so some things some things about my culture just did not connect that being one of them but there's so many other little pieces that I wasn't taught and now I'm catching up and now my mother who uh, is helping me who I've been introduced to seven years ago as my mother is helping me along with that so when it comes to incorporating this into your life and your art um how does that look how does that manifest itself well here's the funny thing about i'll just use the term blood memory again uh, i've been painting ralph since 1997 i started painting the second time i stopped drinking i, I successfully stopped drinking into 19 99. I'm 20 years sober. Let's just say that. But I needed to do something productive rather than destructive. So I started painting after after I spent a day writing. We we're writing songs for a junk house record. You know, my usual routine would be to start drinking. So instead, I started painting and I started painting more and more. And uh, uh, people would come over and they need money for charitable foundations, for charitable situations, for for auctions and things. And They'd come and bring CDs for me to sign, junk house CDs. We assign these so we can give them away to make some money. And I'd say, you want a painting? And they'd say, yeah, sure. So I was giving these paintings away in 1997 to people who were trying to raise money for breast cancer and for women's shelters in Hamilton. Um, and all that time, I was painting freely, painting, and I still am painting freely, by the way. But uh, years later, after I was painting for about five years, my daughter said, Dad, you got to be really careful about these paintings. She goes, you're like an Irish guy and you're painting what looks like Iroquois false faces, indigenous art. He goes, uh, she said, that's cultural appropriation. <laughs> and being a knucklehead from Hamilton, I said, well, what the fuck is that, man? What's cultural appropriation? I don't even know what that means. And she explained that as, as, a, as a, an Irish guy, I shouldn't be um, t you know, painting in indigenous uh, images uh, to make my point. I kept painting, of course, and as a result, my paintings, now I find out that I am a Mohawk and that what I've been painting for the last 20 years is, is actually my culture has already been in there. I know you're on camera here, Ralph, but I'm in my studio right now. So it's like, right. these are the, these are beautiful. You know, and, these, and, and, and if there's such a thing as indigenous, you know, identity within it, I can see it. Right. Yeah, and, me too. And Me it's too. so crazy when you think about it because the inside of you is speaking through through you painting, and 
who knew? And you could have stopped when your daughter said, dad, you're not allowed to talk. You're not, you're not allowed to represent native culture. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what that does to all of us. Cause when I started this podcast today, I was talking about, you know, the isolation of being Jewish and being persecuted. And then I thought, but I remember being a kid and wanting to reach out to African-Americans. Martin Luther King was one of my heroes. And I, I, when I was in my early 20s, I went out to Edmonton and lived in Edmonton. And the first time I'd ever experienced the genocidal cultural uh, attacks on Native Canadians, where people were literally dead on their feet walking by me on the north side of the river in Edmonton. And in Toronto, it was almost invisible. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, how do I reach out? And I remember I was on some horrible game show that they were trying to have celebrity <laughs> game show in Canada. And I thought, well, there's an oxymoron. Um, <laughs> but we did it and we, we had to give our money to charities. And I chose the Native Canadian Centre and they kind of looked at me like, why would you do that? And I realized that this divide was enormous. But I also realized even now there's Black Lives Matter. There's me feeling this way. I, I reached out to an indigenous friend of mine and said, is this a time to talk about red lives matter? Mm-hmm. And he said, no, it's a time to talk about black lives matter. And by them raising that boat, our boat will start to raise too. We'll have our moment. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I don't even know if I understand that, but how do we stop separating ourselves by our difference? You're Mohawk, I'm Jewish. You know, How, how do we get past that and find that that blood history that you're talking about as the common bond. Well, it's not going to happen. I've come to terms with the fact that uh, even though my work now is uh, is to uh, shorten that gap, you know what I mean, is mm-hmm. to uh, keep a, a, a positive conversation going, uh, to open up door, more 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 doors to conversation. Even though I'm doing all that, I, I don't think that this is going to happen in my lifetime. You know what I mean? Maybe my grandsons, you know, will be able to experience um, the work of generations of indigenous people working for uh, justice, you know, because that's what we're talking about. And I'm, you know what? There's nothing that scares people more than the word justice. The people who are afraid of the word justice are usually uh, the people are afraid of it because they're the ones that made the laws, right? <laughs> and and uh and so you know those you, you, that they're that threat is just too much for them you know it's like fight the fucking power man it's like now is the time and now is the time not to necessarily like i say point fingers aggression aggression is not the the solution for this speaking louder than the person beside you is not the solution for this you know Karen Gone Wild videos is not the solution to this. It's understanding one another. And the only way we can understand one another, I believe, is by telling each other stories. In Canada alone, the indigenous and colonial stories are so rich and so important that uh, they have to be told the job really is to get one another to listen to get people to sit down to listen to one another. Well, you know, one of the things that's come to me recently being reminded of is the way to do that isn't to just really try and listen. It's to be curious. Mm -hmm. It's to really want to know about someone else's experience. Even if you don't agree with anything they're saying, you want to understand how they got there and what they're thinking. And moving judgment aside is the only way to be really curious. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're really being prosecu- you know, a prosecutor looking for holes in somebody else's argument so that you can take it down. So right. to be right to be curious mm-hmm. about the person, uh, you know, that woman who should not be a senator uh, here in Canada, uh, who uh, is oh from, that gal from Thunder Bay. Yeah. Yeah. So, her, yeah. Yeah. So she's talking about oh the residential schools were, were you know they had a lot of good points. Now I could just shut it down and just go screw that i'm not i'm not listening to this but maybe if i'm curious about what i see myself in my own heart as inappropriate as wrong i want to understand how she got to where she went to otherwise smart thing ralph it's wise well she won't be heard and 
like you just said, we want to be heard, not just the people who you believe or I believe are right, but everybody wants to be heard. So if you're curious, even though you're repel repulsed by what you've heard, it doesn't mean you then go out and condone people hating other people, but it does mean that you can try. You know, native justice circles, are they're circles, they're not lines. Mm -hmm. everybody's equal everybody has to look at each other there's no head of the table there's no judge on the podium right so right that's how we learn from each other i think right uh-huh i i i believe it i don't know um uh, you know it's going to be a slow slow job to get there in fact uh like i say it's not going to happen in our lifetime i don't believe but uh at the times that we're in right now it, it, it's the beginning of uh, of something better. That's all I can think of. You know, so when you uh, think we're, of, we're onto something better. But that's something to think that you're not going to get, you know, that's a Moses moment, right? <laughs> right. You can take him to the, to the another to famous the, Jew. <laughs> you can take him to the Jordan river, but you can't cross in. Right. <laughs> no. So maybe that's the work you have to do. Maybe it's the work you have to do. And you know what? You can't be, uh, you know, it's funny. You said something about, you know, the, that people think the Jews are trying to take over the world, you know. Um, if if the indigenous population was in the same profile as as the Jewish uh, population, they'd be saying the same thing about us. But the fact of the matter is, is that when the world is trying to try to take everything from you, the fight back might look like you're trying to take over the world, but you're just trying to, you know. You're yeah. trying to gain ground back. You're trying to gain respect, not only in your community, but for your yourself back, you know, after you've been stripped of your humanity, after you've been beaten and killed in mass. That's that's a that's a long road back, Ralph. You know what I mean? The yep. Jewish the Jewish culture is to me on, on a road back still. I mean, after thousands of years of persecution, the road back is gonna be long one yeah and there's moments right there's moments where it seems like hey you know sally field they like us mm -hmm. uh, and then it's charlie brown and lucy and the football gets taken away as you're about to kick <laughs> it which i imagine be the daily life of many indigenous people in canada so do mm -hmm. you where do you go spiritually because you know you grew up one way an enormous piece of information is added to your life. Do you gravitate towards that indigenous spirituality? Do you just think, hey, I'm, I'm, I am what I am. I can't change all these fundamentals. What do you do? Well, as soon as I, as soon as I try to move too fast, Ralph, yeah. I, think, I think moving too fast is, is the wrong thing to do. I think of Woody Allen in, I think that was the movie Annie Hall, when he <laughs> decides to become a Catholic. <laughs> and he goes out and he has this uh, paper bag and he pulls out like a Bible and he pulls out like a crucifix with a, you know, a cross with a little man on it, you know, and then he picks, pulls out this giant loaf of Wonder Bread. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it's like, well, you know, uh, you know, the answers for me uh, aren't, aren't in a drive through You know what I mean? It's not like I'm going to uh, uh, order order my culture up at one window, pay for it and pick it up and in a bag in the other, you know, and I'm, I'm not going to reach into a paper bag and, and pick out uh, what I think are the necessity, necess the important components to uh, understanding my culture. They're going to come to me and they're going to come to me. I swear every time I go nose to nose with a canvas and I paint every time I uh, write Every time I write music and sing music, that is my, that is where I go to war. I'm 61 years old, Ralph, and I go to war every day. And my war is in my creative spirit. My war is, is in what I create. My war isn't, uh, isn't a, a war of words or, or uh, challenges or, or rudeness or impatience. Uh, my my war is is a personal one, and I believe that uh, that it's going to make a difference. If I didn't, why would I be doing it? Going back to another thing that you said, Ralph. While we're on the subjects that you now that you know, I'm so ADD. 
um, that it's difficult for me to hold on to one thing. But you mentioned, uh, uh, oh shit, I can't remember now. I'm glad you guys are connected. This isn't live, right? Yeah, no. No, no, no. There was something else that you mentioned that was uh, really important to me. I got to go back, Ralph. You talked about uh, the culture. I forgot. It's That's gone. all right. It'll, it'll yeah. come. You know, it, it, when the horse rides by, you just got to jump on. That's it, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly how I feel. These I don't even get frustrated anymore about forgetting shit. It's just like ah, it'll come around again. Yeah. So when you, as a painter, I'm really interested in. Were you self-taught? Yeah, it just was. Uh, uh, my 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 my, uh, my technique is to fill the canvas. That's what I figured would be the right thing to do. So that's what I started doing, and I started painting simple images. I painted eyes and noses and mouths and moons and stars and and uh, built out from there. But they had to be simple images. I wanted to paint the same way I wanted to write music that that was. Uh, that resonated with people. I want to paint with things that resonate with people. And um, if I was to hold up one of my paintings to uh, a three-year-old, they would know exactly what it was. If I was to hold up one of my paintings a block away, if I, if, if I was on, if I was on Lock Street and you were halfway down Herkimer, looking at me holding this painting, you'd know what it was: an eye and a mouth and a nose. But as you get closer to my paintings. As all the detail that goes into them, all the writing. I, I'm writing, currently putting a show together with all the writing from my new book. But if you, I don't know, not that this matters, Ralph, and not yeah, that yeah. people at home listening, but inside all these paintings here, that's all, that's all script. All these lines that are part of the huge face, almost totem-like face. Yeah, they're all, it's all, uh, it's all the story. It's all the story of, uh, the reserve that my, my family's from, Ganawage. It's a story of iron workers. It's a story of the Oka crisis. It's a story of me finding my identity. And I remember what I wanted to address with you was I found out that I was adopted only seven years ago. Before that, I thought I was a big, puffy, sweaty Irish guy. Now I know that I'm a big Mohawk, something I always dreamed about it always was in my dreams uh mm. but now i have identity ralph that means that my work has purpose suddenly i worked at i worked at music since i was 15 years old i've been writing songs since i was 14 but at the age of late in my late 50s and now at 61 everything has a purpose because i have identity because i know where the hell i'm from i know what my people look like now and my whole point is that without identity, we have nothing to offer the world. If we don't know who we are, then what can we possibly offer the person beside us? That's why this is an important time for me. Is it going to make me famous? No. Is it going to make me rich? Certainly not. Um, is it going to uh, satisfy my journey for getting closer to my culture while I continue to understand my who I am? Yes, it is. Is it going to uh, resonate with people who want to know more about the Mohawk culture? Is it going to invite conversation? Yes, it is. You know, sometimes I think in life we we get born, we start to grow up, and we get slingshot away from who we are mm -hmm. and we spend the rest of our lives trying to return from the trajectory we were sent on to becoming who we really are. One, I couldn't agree with you more, Ralph. It's like you read my mind or, you know, read something out of my, my own writing. My, um, I go out and I, I speak at colleges and universities as I get to speak at universities that, uh, that I would never have been, able to enroll into, you know, <laughs> that I never would have been accepted in. Uh, but when I do, uh, I, I, I talk about the creative process and economics and, and how, how to, that you never really, you're not, you know, you, you, you don't say that you're an artist. You say that you're working at being an artist because we are all born artists. This is just an example of who we are and what's taken away from us. We all paint. 
pictures freely. We all make up stories and tell them to our parents and our siblings freely. We all sing songs and dance freely. And then we go into school and all of that is halted and taken away from us and made a secondary uh, thought at best. And we're not really allowed to our, express ourselves freely. And I mean, my belief is that creativity, that creative energy, creating something is, a, is godly. It is spiritual and it's important. And, and it's something for you to focus on and apply yourself to. And I can't meditate. I've tried. I was with Kathy Jones for years and we went to meditation, Buddhist meditation camps, and it was pure hell. <laughs> and then we and we'd get in these giant fights after trying to be quiet for 12 hours a day. Now, can you imagine me or Kathy Jones being quiet for 12 <laughs> hours a day. We'd get into the car and we'd get in these vicious arguments, which are so anti-Buddhist. It was crazy. But my, my point is, is that, uh, uh, that my spirituality is in my creativity. And that's the thing that gets taken away from all of us as kids. And we spend the rest of our lives trying to get back to being that three-year-old. Because as three-year-olds, we understand who we are in this world. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I was in a, I was also in post-secondary working as an advisor to the president of a college for five years. And I just said, what am I doing here with all these <laughs> PhD people? And, you know, I, 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 what am I doing here? Uh, and uh, one of the things we did, though, was from uh, Buffalo State University, they have a uh, creativity, Masters of Science and Creativity. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have the... Uh, they invented the word brainstorming, University, Buffalo State really? University. Yeah. So, I didn't know that. Yeah. So they have a creativity workshop that they you, you train to become that, a facilitator. I, wait, do I, I actually, creativity facilitator. I actually have it sitting here on my desk. <laughs> and, 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 and forgot about that. And uh, everybody was talking at the beginning. It's a three-day workshop, you know, uh, for the first stage. And then you do that every year, uh, three again, three again, three again. So they're talking about what you're talking about, that we, we you know, Ken Robinson's TED Talk, where you, you, you start with uh, a kindergarten class. It looks great, you know, all beautiful art everywhere and streamers and color and creativity and innocence. And, you know, by grade three, the room's about half that much and the rest mm -hmm. is sort of, you know, how to spell. And then by uh, early high school, it's over. You're in a factory, you're sitting at a desk, you're moving forward. But, you know, and everyone was saying, oh, we, you know, schools kill creativity, schools kill creativity. And I just had this moment where I thought, no, wait a minute. We kill our children's creativity out of fear that they're not going to fit into this society. And oh, my make God, you're so dead on. Yes. So it's not our, our, we ask the system to do that. Go get your report card. I want to see how you did, you know. Uh, go take something. What do you mean you want to be a musician? What are you crazy? Mm -hmm. Right. So what we do is we shut down our kids ability to to love and learn in a creative fashion. I also believe, though, that we have decided that a spiritual life is naive. It's just like, oh, that's cute. You know, mm -hmm. you believe in God or, or you're, you know, you're a meditator. That's so cute. I wish I could do more of that. I'm going to go get my Lululemon pants. I'll meet you at yoga. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and because of that, we, we've shamed ourselves away from the mystery part of life. We mm -hmm. just want the, the facts, you know, it's, it's dragnet from here on in, just the facts, man. So when, I, when you talk about it, I just think it is a struggle it's a daily struggle to try to return to that without feeling like you're not doing the right thing. You should be writing, uh, you know, the next major pop hit at this point, not painting something that, you know, mm -hmm. not, not putting something together with your band, you know, come on, it's your, it's Canada. How good is it going to get, you know? Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Like, how do you nourish the spiritual part of your life? Because you say you go to war every day. Well, to go to war, it takes an enormous amount of energy. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you have to have a, a certain amount of courage to do that. But what do you do to steal yourself for the battles? 
um, I go, I go head on Ralph and, uh, I don't allow all those, a lot, a lot of those things you said, you know, like, well, you're only in Canada, you know, or you're trying to write a hit, you know, none of those things are really a part of my life anymore. Um, because I've chosen for them not to be a part of my life, you know. I mean, I still get the calls to go and write for people, you know, who are trying to get big hits, but it's not really my interest. My heart's not in it. My heart is in um, uh, utilizing this new identity that I have. Mm. That identity is what brings me the fuel, you know, knowing, knowing that I have a job to do that is greater than uh, getting a hit on the radio or getting a good royalty check next quarter that getting that stuff out of your life. That's, that's part of the, that's part of the big job, isn't it? Getting yeah. all those voices out of your head. That's part of the big job, isn't it? You know, uh, corporations and governments, religions want to control us. Artists are here to create something that wasn't here yesterday. We're here to create for the world. So get all that stuff out of the way so that you can create and uh there's a certain amount of fearlessness but that fearlessness comes from uh, that old uh, ten thousand hour game right you know you do something long enough and, you know you become some kind of master of it you'd think so uh i come to work every day here in this room uh, down here at the cotton factory on sherman avenue north in hamilton and uh, i'm going to tell you that i haven't been happier in my life uh, doing anything than what I'm doing right now. So if I go out and get hit by a car sometime later today, Ralph, you'll know that I'll have died working to be an artist. You'll know that I'll have died with my identity intact and I'll have died a pretty happy man. You know, you talk about being 61 and asking for 20 more years. Yes, please. Do you think, do you think much about uh, dying? Yeah, uh, not not that much. A little bit though. I, uh, uh, you know, we got a. My wife and I got a dog, Lucy. I maybe I've seen you. I've yeah. seen you out when I've been walking her. Um, and when I got that dog, two things occurred to me. Two revelations, right? I'm going to tell you the one that is a relative here is that I thought well, this is uh, this is probably the last dog I'm going to have. You know what I mean? If this dog <laughs> lives 15 years. I'm probably not going to be getting another dog at 61. You know, I'll be, I'll be a little older. I'll be a little slower. I'm just assuming that this might be the last dog that I own. Um, that, that is, uh, that, that's kind of a, <laughs> that's a sobering thought. How's that? How does it sober you? Well, just knowing the time is, uh, time is not completely on my side. So how, uh, uh, my clear vision and, and uh, is is something I have to follow. I have to follow my uh, my my creative desire more so now than ever. I don't have time to be fucking around anymore. You know, it's interesting. Uh, as we get older, the ego is dissolves more, and we realize you know we're just renting. Uh, and you 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 look at time differently, and you have to start wondering. You know, when we, when we were younger. And even as, as an artist, you as a younger person, the ego pushed you through, right? Your flak jacket was, was made uh -huh. out of ego. And now your flak jacket is made out of identity and love, it sounds like. Yes, absolutely right. Thank you for, uh, for articulating what I can't. <laughs> you know, that, you're, you're right about that. It, it makes for a sweeter life, but you know, you've, you know, the first book was beautiful scars and there are scars drinking and drugs and, you know, a marriage comes and goes and, and now you have identity and a, a happy relationship and a happy relationship to yourself. What's the next book about? Well, this it, it's going to, it's going to be called blood memory. And uh, I've, I've been, I've been writing about the continued uh, journey that comes along with uh, being able to embrace or acknowledge or, or discover your identity. It's not a, uh, it's, it, there's heavy lifting involved in, in this and there's new discoveries that happen uh, that have happened since I, I, I finished writing the last book. You know, I discovered another sister 
I mean, just to give a little bit of background, uh, I did find out uh, that I was adopted seven years ago. Um, I found out that uh, I'm not Irish, I'm Mohawk. I found out that the woman has acted as my mother my entire life. Cousin Janie, the matriarch of our family, the woman who sits at the head of the table for Christmas and Thanksgiving and all those things, all the kids' birthdays. Janie, my cousin, turns out to be my mother after all these years. I grew up an only child and I've met uh, six of my possible 12 brothers and sisters. My uh, father had uh, six kids with his wife and several outside of the marriage. I jokingly refer to him as a good-looking Mohawk with a busy dick. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so with with all this going on, uh, uh, you know, I met my brothers and sisters. I've been embraced by my sister Lynn and 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 my family, um, uh, the indigenous community. You know, um, it wasn't. You know, they don't ask the colonial question. You know. So how Indian are you? You know, because I right. do get that question. You know, it's like you don't look much like a you know a indigenous guy, eh? <laughs> um, you know. And I'm getting too old to punch people in the throat, Ralph. So it's like it's uh, un, it's not very uh, becoming of me to be striking out in the Kirkendale neighborhood. Um, <laughs> I'll meet you at Dunder uh, so, Market. Right dun dun <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gotta get so, a sourdough. Uh, yeah. So my so my mother now now I've got a place for my I bought a condo for my mother Jane just off Lock Street and I bring the dog by in the mornings and we see each other and it's been she found out uh, I found out that I have a sister that my my cousin Janie my mother Janie had another baby uh, four years after me named Francis Wells who I've had one conversation with and who uh, grew up in Trinidad who was uh, Janie gave birth to her in Toronto and she was taken to Trinidad well this goes. Years, years later, um, Francis grows up in Trinidad, decides she wants to go to school in Canada. So um, she comes to Canada. She's got to go to prep school in Canada. And where she goes is lands in Waterdown, Ontario in hmm. 1980. Wow. Okay. Close she searches down. She, she wants to open up the files. She gets the files opened up. She searches down her mother, my mother, our mother. And Janie... And, and uh, Francis, my mother and Fran my sister Francis have had a relationship since 1980 that I didn't know about. Wow. I knew nothing about. And Francis didn't know anything about me. All right. So, uh, in fact, Francis went to Western University and uh, went to a couple shows with, uh, to see Teenage Head years ago at the Spoken Rim there, and I was the opening band. So we were actually, I was on a stage and she was in an audience. <laughs> we didn't know we were brother and sister. So, but she always heard about me because Janie always referred to me as Cousin Tom. Cousin Tom is taking us to church in bad weather, and Cousin Tom is bringing his groceries in because of something. And Cousin Tom is playing Massey Hall in Toronto, and we're going down to see Cousin Tom. So she always knew about Cousin Tom. Frances, my sister in Trinidad, always knew that there was a cousin, Tom Wilson. And two winters ago, around Christmas time, my book had just come out in November, my first book, and Frances was looking for our mother, Janie, and she called up to Janie, and Janie wasn't answering the phone, and Frances got a little nervous, so she looked up Cousin Tom, because she knew that if she, she couldn't get a hold of Janie, this guy, Tom Wilson in Hamilton, is going to know what's going on with Janie. So she looks me up and sees that I just wrote a book, and in the meantime, Janie gets a hold of her, but she is interested in the fact that this guy, Cousin Tom, wrote this book. So she's in New York, and she picks the book up, and she takes the book back to Trinidad, opens up the book, and her name is in the book. And the whole story of my life and of my life with Janie is written out in that book. And she had no idea that I was her brother. She had no idea that Janie, the story that you know Janie brought to the table. And she went nuts. She went Trinidadian crazy and, uh, you know, got really mad. And uh, I managed to be able to speak long enough with her to kind of come to some understanding of, you know, what our mother, the situation our mother was in. 
that she being a young indigenous girl pregnant in uh, Toronto it was not an easy job and uh, that she did her best and I think that it was a great lesson of understanding uh, for me hopefully for her too that's a story that I still have to write but that's you know that's a little bit of a development in in my in my world so what's the new, one. what's the new book going to be called blood memory and what is it you want people to to get from it I, I would like uh, if if nothing else I'd like this book just to take another step uh, for for the readers to understand the indigenous side of this country a little more to tell the stories to continue telling my story continue telling the stories of my brothers and my sisters and my cousins and my uncles and of uh the uh journey of the reserve in Ganawage so that uh, maybe we can get a little bit closer. You know, Gord Downey, I mentioned earlier, told one story about a young boy who died on the railroad tracks trying to get home. And I've done shows for the Downey Windjack Foundation and they're, we do tragically hip songs, you know what I mean? And I watch the theaters fill up. And as I go, as I watch the show go, I see like a lot of aging junior A and junior B hockey players who are kind of, there to see the hip man, you know, which is great, which is so Canadian. You can't get more Canadian, but as the show goes on and as indigenous drummers come out and, and sage is burned and the, the the spirit, the spirit in the room is, is, is gathered, you know, and and there's clarity in the room and people are singing with their hearts and, and chiefs come out and speak about, you know, indigenous issues and missing and murdered indigenous women. And, and, uh, you know, Windjack and, and uh, um, you know, Tina Fontaine and, and these things start coming up. You start seeing people's faces change. You start people going from wanting to hear little bones by the hip to saying, wait a minute, there's something else going on here, you know, and there's something else really important. There's something that I didn't know about. And we like to believe that if we don't know about it, then it's not important. So the job is to keep enlightening people gently on what this story is about. Transformation too, right? I mean, your your transformation now to becoming not just the artist, but having some sense of a responsibility as an elder. Yeah, I guess I'm getting there, and I'm You're trying. I'm trying to honor that. I see you with your grandkids sometimes, and I just yeah, yeah I see in the schoolyard, Ralph. Yeah, and he's getting there. Yeah. It, <laughs> I hope to, I hope to keep getting there. I've had great teachers. I've had great Jewish people around me. I've had Bernie Finkelstein around me, who in one meal, let me see. Oh, okay, we were eating at a on uh, this great uh, dim sum restaurant uh, uh, in Toronto, right near the art gallery. We were out for dinner, and uh, he said two great things. Bernie Finkelstein said we ordered our Chinese food. And uh, somebody at the table said, oh, yeah, no MSG. And Bernie said, no MSG in Chinese food? It's like driving a Porsche with three wheels. <laughs> <laughs> and then we were talking and, you know, Colin and I, I'm always, I'm always interested. Colin Linden follows his faith. And, and I'm always interested in, in, you know, the many holidays that, uh, that Jewish people have. And Bernie Finkelstein interrupted. He goes, well, what? wait a minute, what religion, what, how did you grow up, Tom? What religion are you? I said, well, I guess I'm kind of a Catholic. And he was eating, but, hmm, right. One of those new religions. <laughs> exactly. And why, why am I talking about Bernie Finkelstein? Because uh, he's, he's a great example to me of a loving individual and uh, somebody that uh, whose humor um, manages to get his message across, you know. Well, you got to have more than just you know, uh, a stern look to get through life. You, you know, you, you got to have some fun. Yeah. The one last thing I will mention um, that is important, that besides the art, okay, Ralph, is that um, a couple of years ago, McMaster University came to me and asked for my creative archives. So all my writing books and all these tapes from studios and uh, paintings that I did, and they wanted to put together 
the creative journey. And I don't know if you know, McMaster University has an incredible library archives. I went there, they brought me in there. They, they showed me some of the things they had. They had like the first draft of a clockwork orange and they had scriptures of the Bible written out by monks from, you know, 2000 years ago. And, you know, they got Einstein's brain in Hamilton, Ontario, you know, it's, crazy the stuff crazy. that i'm not i'm not even making this up you know what i mean they got einstein's <laughs> brain at mcmaster university so uh when uh, i said that's all really cool you know because i mean giving your archives to uh, a university like that you know it's, it's such a big step for me and also it clears out my basement so my wife doesn't have to complain about my shit anymore <laughs> right so that's that's a good thing but as i did that i thought you know i want to do something that's even more forward that steps forward and so i started the Indigenous uh, Scholarship Fund in honor of Bunny Wilson. Bunny Wilson is the woman who raised me, my great aunt, really my mother. And um, so I've started that and we are going to be launching. We we're supposed to launch that on uh, May the 5th, but uh, then the sickness kind of took over the earth. So we've halted to January. We're raising $100,000 this year to bring uh, Indigenous uh, students to McMaster University to take care of their tuition and their books and subsidize their housing. And uh, let's get that going because the more indigenous people that get through education and become our lawyers and doctors and leaders uh, in the colonial world, I think the better this country is going to be. What a lovely thing. Honor, charity of mind and soul, giving away, you know, you're not hoarding it, right? You're not hoarding all this stuff that's coming your way. You're you're going all right now. What do I? How do I uh, re-gift this stuff? Mm -hmm. Right? <laughs> you know, how do I put it back out into the world with a we little bit of Tom in it? You know, it's, we just got to keep doing it. You know. So I started the Indigenous Scholarship in, at McMaster. It's, also, every time I go through my Starbucks drive-through, I always pay for the person behind me. You know what I mean? It's like. <laughs> Every little thing, Ralph, you know, every little thing. We all become shaman, I guess, in our own way. Or at least, uh, like I say, the more we understand ourselves, the more that we could give back to the rest of the world. Well, Mr. Wilson, I thank you very much for the time. Uh, oh, I love you, Ralph. I love yeah. you, Ralph. And I got to tell you, listening to you speak, when you ask me questions, you know, I spent so many years listening to cbc hung over listening to you on the radio <laughs> that is like when i hear your voice i oh it's so soothing i just want to roll over on the pillow and, and uh, <laughs> wait for somebody somebody else to answer your question that's right i'm having a fig newton i'm busy right now <laughs> <laughs> well you take care of yourself brother and i'll see you out oh, yeah. in the street i sure will ralph thank you thank you tom all right we'll let you go take care bye buddy Tom Wilson, you know him from Lee Harvey Osmond, uh, from Blackie and the Rodeo Kings, from his band Junk House, from his book Beautiful Scars. Wow, really interesting, well worth listening to and uh, having a great conversation. We live in the same city as you could have guessed by that. Um, and uh, just, you know, walk by each other on the trails these days and I've got my family and he's got his and it's like, hi, how are you? Uh, beautiful art that he has. You can check out his website and, uh, you know, could have, could have taken everything that's happened to him in this life and done something dark with it. And instead he turned around and made it into light. No, no grudges, no anger, uh, but scars. And as he calls them, beautiful scars. So, uh, uh a good talk. I'm Ralph Ben Mergy. This is a, not that kind of rabbi. And uh, I hope you uh, take a little dive into our archives, which are steadily growing of shows that we've done. I mean, I'm nowhere near 600 podcasts, uh, but what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, but we build this one brick at a time. So have a listen to some of the folks that I've had the honor of talking to and make sure that uh, you... Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, RalphBenMergy at gmail.com. Just start typing Ben Mergy and eventually it'll correct you, I would assume. And um, at RalphBenMergy from my Twitter account and Facebook. I have a Facebook, at not that kind of rabbi page that you can go to as well. In the meantime, uh, in these times, you take care of each other. 
like uh, like Tom said, you know, pay for the guy behind you at the Starbucks lineup. It's not going to kill you for an extra three bucks, but it'll sure make their day. Take care of each other. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. I'm not that kind of rabbi. Bye bye. podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number from unwanted calls. Visit romephone.ca to get started.